do we reflect the heart and the attitude of Jesus as his people? When people come to us who have only a smoldering wick of hope, only a flicker of faith, do we deal gently with them? Do we encourage them with gospel hope so that the smoldering wick is fanned into flame? Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. And uh, Jonathan, I love that image of that smoldering wick and Jesus coming in. He's not going to snuff that out. What he's going to do, as you uh, remind us here, is he's going to fan that into flame. And, you know, as followers of him, it's good for us to be reminded that's how we are to deal with people as well. Well, we need to learn the heart and the character of Jesus in this because that won't come naturally to us, but it is what Jesus is like. And it's important, perhaps, if you're new to Christian things listening to the program, to hear that message that Jesus is is gentle and Jesus is lowly. That's not always, perhaps, the popular image that is given of the God of heaven. But as we come to know Jesus as he's presented to us in the Bible, we discover his great gentleness of heart and how important it is for us to believe that he's like that so that we might come to him to receive his mercy. Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 12 today as we continue our message, The Light Burden of Jesus Christ. Here is Jonathan. The Sabbath controversy, it continues in verse 9. Jesus now moves into the synagogue, the place of Sabbath gathering. And right away, he encounters a man with a disability, a withered hand. And the Pharisees, they again see an opportunity here to catch Jesus out, verse 10. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they might accuse him, we're told. This man, he's presumably had this ailment for a long time, maybe since birth. His healing, maybe it could wait 24 hours without any further detriment. This isn't a life-threatening emergency. What's Jesus going to do? Let's catch him out, they think to themselves. Jesus replies by pointing out that almost anyone would be willing to help an animal in distress on the Sabbath. Most Jewish groups recognize the appropriateness and the legality of doing that. And so he reasons, verse 12, of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus then mercifully heals the man. His hand is restored. That's no shock to us, of course. We know that Jesus is the merciful healer. He delights to make broken people whole. But the real shocker here is the response of the Pharisees. And it is shocking, verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. The merciful, rest-giving, life-restoring, health-imparting, saving work of Jesus Christ, it is so detestable and hateful to the Pharisees that this becomes for them the final straw. And from now on, they are determined to see him dead. It is this work of giving wholeness and health and salvation and rest that actually determines the course they will have Jesus nailed to the cross. See, what we are seeing here is not simply a debate or a difference of opinion about how to honor the Sabbath, how to treat a day of rest. What we are seeing here is actually the very heart of the clash between worldly religion and the true salvation rest that Jesus brings. The skewed religion of the Pharisees, it spoke of rest. It used the language of rest. 
But their vision of rest was nothing more than a burden on the back of the people. The Pharisees, they dealt in rules and regulations. That was their currency. They dealt in accusation and condemnation. And the telltale sign of the true nature of their religion, it came out in their attitude to the people involved in this drama. The hungry disciples who plucked the grain to satisfy their hunger, there was no mercy for them. No consideration of their physical need. All the Pharisees could see was an opportunity to accuse and then to condemn. The man with the withered hand, his physical need meant nothing to the Pharisees. He was merely a prop in their drama to be used. An opportunity to catch Jesus out. Nothing more. No more significance to him. And wherever we find legalism... Wherever we find worldly religion, this is going to be the telltale sign. This is how we'll recognize it. Rules will reign. Religious performance will be a burden. Failure will lead to condemnation and mercy. It goes right out the window. Now, right there, that's just a warning for us. And perhaps a diagnostic as well. It's a warning because the fact of the matter is that legalism can so easily seep back into the church of Jesus Christ. Even though the church is formed by the gospel and rooted in grace, an uncompromising legalism, it seeped into the religious life of Israel in Jesus' day. Even though God's design was always for a community of grace and of mercy, we see what happened here among the Pharisees. And it, it seeps into the church all too easily today. I expect there will be those here and those listening who look at the profile of the Pharisees and their worldly religion, their legalism, their merciless execution of their rules and their rights, and you recognize within that some shadow of a church experience you have had, perhaps years ago, perhaps in childhood or something like that. And the truth be told, you know this kind of thing all too well. It's all too familiar to you. Rules reign, people get chewed up, mercy is out the window. Ever seen that? Ever experienced it? And friends, we need to recognize the ugliness of this kind of thing. And we need to be carefully on our guard against it. It is here as the utter contrast to the heart and the message of Jesus. And so as a church, we need to be very careful, don't we, that we don't add in rules and regulations that go beyond what the Scriptures actually say. We need to be careful that our fixation is not modifying behavior, but changing hearts through the gospel of grace and in the power of the Spirit. How easily, even in churches that name the name of Jesus, how easily rules and regulations, traditions, that go beyond the scriptures, how easily they become everything and people get chewed up and steamrolled over in the process. We need to see, friends, how fundamentally different is the message of Jesus from the heartless legalism of worldly religion. How fundamentally different is the true rest that Jesus brings. In this clash of visions over the Sabbath, we've seen a vivid illustration of the contrast between worldly religion and the yoke of Jesus Christ. We've seen the, the cloudy window and the one that is crystal clear and bright. We've seen the utter contrast between the imposed and burdensome rest 
of the Pharisees and the true rest of Jesus Christ. We've seen the merciful heart of Jesus and the freedom that belongs to those who follow him. But what we haven't quite seen yet is the basis of this rest, how it is and why it is that Jesus brings this kind of rest to those who would trust in him. And so now Jesus turns to teach us something fundamental about his identity and his mission. He brings true rest, he shows us now, because he is the true servant of the Lord. Remember, the Pharisees have just resolved to kill Jesus. That's a very significant observation at the moment. We need to file that away. But notice what we're told next, verse 15. Jesus, aware of this, aware of what the Pharisees were thinking and plotting, withdrew from there. And many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. The prophet Isaiah speaks of the coming salvation of the Lord and of the coming of a savior for the people. The promises of salvation within this prophecy are so rich and so vivid that it's often called, or Isaiah is often called, the evangelist of the Old Testament. Now, you may know that in Isaiah, the figure who is introduced as the Lord's Savior for his people is called the servant of the Lord. That's the name that is given to him. That's how the prophet speaks of him. And over the course of a number of sections of the prophecy, sections that are often called the servant songs, Isaiah introduces us to this coming Savior, and he tells us about his saving work. Perhaps the most famous of all the servant songs is found in chapter 53 where we learn that the servant of the Lord will actually come to die in the place of the people for their sin to secure their salvation. The words of this chapter will be familiar to many, but let me just highlight a few for us. Isaiah 53 and verse 4, we learn that the servant surely has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So the servant of the Lord, he comes to save the people by addressing the problem of their guilt. Israel had a sin problem, Isaiah was clear about that, as the whole human race has a sin problem. And the solution that the Lord would provide, it's not behavior modification. It's not a new series of regulations. No, it is rather a sacrifice for sin. It is rather a savior who will come to die to address the guilt of the people, who will serve them by that great act of self-sacrifice. The Pharisees, they were all about behavior management and behavior modification. That was their emphasis. That was their driving concern. But Jesus came along with a different emphasis and a different message. He came and offered rest, he says. He came and offered to take away the burden of the guilt that the people were carrying. He offered healing. He offered hope. And when the Pharisees saw his work and heard his message, they hated him and they wanted him dead. 
And rather than fight them, Jesus withdraws quietly, verse 15 of Matthew 12. He heals those who come along with him. And Matthew says to us, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And then crucially, he quotes from the first of Isaiah's servant songs, where the servant is introduced. And he tells us in no uncertain terms that Jesus is the long-awaited servant of the Lord. And notice what the Lord says about his servant. Verse 18, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, a message called The Light Burden of Jesus Christ. It's from our series, Living as Kingdom People. Today, taking a look at the first 21 verses of Matthew chapter 12, and we're going to get back to this message in just a moment. Well, we're able to bring you Encounter the Truth because of your generosity. So thank you to those who are giving and supporting this program. We could not be on this station without you. If you've never given a gift of support before, I want to encourage you to do so today. And as our way of saying thanks, we'd love to send you three little books written by Tim Keller. It's Keller writing on birth, marriage, and death. Three of the big milestones in life and helping us take a look at these biblically. Again, it's our thank you gift to you as you give a gift of any amount and support Encounter the Truth this month. You can find out more or give online at EncounterTheTruth.org. That's EncounterTheTruth.org. Back to the message. Here is Jonathan. There is a justice issue at stake here. It's interesting language in verses 18 and 20. But the language of justice, it fits what's actually going on. There is an issue of law and justice at stake. The Pharisees, they're on that. They're really on it. They're all over it. They want the law to be kept, and they pound people to the ground who don't measure up to their standard of law-keeping. Of course, there's no question that God cares about his law and his standard. There's no question that there is a widespread failure among the people to meet those standards. We all fail to meet God's holy and perfect and righteous standards. And the scriptures are clear. We as a race, as a humanity, will have to stand before God the judge. We've all got a justice problem corporately. That's the crisis at the heart of human existence. The solution for the Pharisees, as is the case with all worldly religion, actually, the solution is just to bash people over the head with law. The solution is to lay on the backs of the people great burdens of religious duty, back-breaking, bone-crushing burdens. That's always the solution of worldly religion and of legalists. That's always the strategy. But in Isaiah, the Lord spoke of his servant who would proclaim justice to the Gentiles, that is, to the nations. So here now is the Lord's own justice solution, his plan for achieving true justice, not just for the nation of Israel, but for the nations of the world. And it, it, it's not bashing people over the head with legalism and ritual. That's not going to solve anything. It's actually the gift of a servant who will pay the full price of sin, who will suffer and die to clear the debt of all who would receive him. It is a fundamentally different approach. 
But look now how it plays itself out in terms of the servant's interactions with actual people, his approach to people. Notice it with me there in verse 19. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. And of course, that's exactly how Jesus behaved here. He didn't fight with the Pharisees. He didn't allow this unfruitful exchange to drag on. He was aware of their hostility toward him, verse 15, and he simply withdrew from there. And this servant, we're told a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. The religious legalists, those who seek salvation through law-keeping, well, they break bruised reeds all the time. The hungry disciples who reach for the heads of grain, instant condemnation for them. The man with the withered hand, leave him to languish just a little longer. Don't you dare help him on the Sabbath. The smoldering wick of faintly burning hope, it is snuffed out in an instant with demands rules, burdens, condemnation, guilt. But you see, Jesus Christ, he is in the business of tenderly caring for the bruised reed, of coaxing into flame the smoldering wick of hope. We see that happening in his ministry, and it continues, we are told, until he brings justice to victory. That is, until justice is victorious at the cross where sin is paid for and at the resurrection where the sacrifice of Jesus is vindicated and shown to be effective and at the final judgment where those who have trusted in Jesus will be spared and those who reject the Lord's servant will be justly condemned. And so in his name, in the name of Jesus, the Gentiles will hope. This is a beautiful vision of who Jesus is and of what it is he came to do. And as we close, I want to consider what it means for us both personally and corporately as the people of God. Personally, I want us to see again the heart of Jesus and to remember again how it is that he comes to each one of us. He comes as the Lord's servant who served us at the cross by taking our burden of guilt, dealing with our justice problem, making us right with God as we trust in him, and then liberating us to follow him as his disciples in the power of the Spirit. And maybe for you, you've never quite seen Jesus like that. You've never really understood his heart and his mission. You've imagined that his agenda was to reform your behavior, to browbeat you into being good or at least being a little bit better than you currently are. And so when you think of Jesus, when you hear the name of Jesus, you think of failure and you think of guilt, but you don't see hope. If that's you, if that's your impression of Jesus, may I introduce you today to the real Jesus, the Jesus of the scriptures, the Jesus of his own presentation, the servant of the Lord who came to serve you by dying in your place, who came to deal with your justice problem before God, who doesn't come shouting and browbeating, but comes in humility and in gentleness. And if you come to him in a spirit of brokenness and of need, if you come to him as a bruised reed, a smoldering wick, here is his promise, he won't crush you. He won't push you away. He offers you healing 
and forgiveness and acceptance and hope. If you will but trust in him, he offers you those things and he offers them freely. I wonder if there are some here, I wonder if there's some listening who are ready to do that. I hope you are and I hope you will. Some of us have come to this Jesus, this servant before now, but we've lost sight over time of who he truly is. We have reimagined him in some way and to some extent to be the unbending enforcer of law rather than the unfailing and unflinching servant of the sinful and the needy, of the spiritually hungry and even of the dying. And perhaps for some followers of Jesus, fear and guilt are barging their way into your heart and are taking the place of rest and assurance and of peace. Perhaps you, you, you see your failures today. Perhaps you grieve your sin today. Perhaps you feel your unworthiness and you wonder if there is grace enough in the heart of Jesus Christ for you. And if that's your heart condition today, remember again who Jesus is. Remember who is this servant who came to save. Remember what he is like. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench. If you come to him, if you come to him again in your bruising and your smoldering faith, he will not break you. And he will not snuff out your hope. No, Jesus, he deals in mercy. And he abounds in grace. That's who he is. And praise God, that's what he's like. It's important that we not only think about this personally, but corporately too, as a whole church, as a people of God. It's important that we reflect and we ask the question, whether or not we are representing this servant of the Lord properly in our life together as the people of God. I, I hope we are. I think in many respects we are, but I think it's also right that we check and important we ask. You see, I think it's all too easy for a church, for a fellowship, to break bruised reeds and to snuff out smoldering wicks. It's all too easy for us to fail to show mercy and grace, the kind of mercy and grace that Jesus shows. Sadly, many have stories to tell of that experience, some who have walked away from church altogether, and they'll say that's why they've done that. That was their experience. That's what they found. And so we need to ask that question, do we reflect the heart and the attitude of Jesus as his people when the sinful and the needy and the bruised come to us, when people come to us who have only a smoldering wick of hope, only a flicker of faith, do we deal gently with them? Do we encourage them with gospel hope so that the smoldering wick is fanned into flame? Now, I just leave that as a question for us to take away. I hope the answer is yes, that we reflect Jesus in this way, but how vitally important it is that we do. Jesus, he, he offers rest today, true rest to me and you. He invites us to know him as the humble servant who will not break us in our bruising or snuff out our smoldering hope. No, he is gentle and he is lowly in heart. And the rest that he offers to me and to you, it is rest indeed. 
Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth, wrapping up our message, The Light Burden of Jesus Christ. Our series is called Living as Kingdom People, and if you've missed any of the broadcasts in our series, you can always come to our website and you can listen there. The website address, EncounterTheTruth.org, and you can stream the program or download an MP3 for free. You can also listen for free on the go if you have the Encounter the Truth app. All you have to do to get that is go to your favorite app store and simply search for Encounter the Truth. We're able to bring you Jonathan's teaching, whether it's on the app, online, or on the radio, because of your generosity. So if you're giving and supporting this ministry, thank you for doing so. If you'd like to send a gift this month, you can do that by coming to our website, EncounterTheTruth.org, or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 833-998-7884. Well, thanks for doing that and for listening. I hope you'll join us next time.